Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast wouldn't happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to join us, to become a socio, and to get every interview we produce without adverts and before it goes out on the main feed plus lots of bonus content including the chance to put questions to our guests and to me via the monthly Q&A you will also get bonus content every month including the audio versions of my regular columns for ESPN so do please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join the club and get your family and friends to do so maybe even strangers in the street love you You already know, with these tones, you can tell, it's the big interview and it's Graham. Today's guest on this long-running series is Pepine Linders. Pep, to you and I. If you haven't heard of him, it's because Jürgen Klopp naturally grabs all the attention. Pep Linders is the Dutch assistant to Klopp at Liverpool. And because of our interview, you're about to hear about what that means in terms of this phenomenal team's development and preparation over the last few years. I wanted to find out more about Pepine Linder's own story. This young man who was recruited by Liverpool before the arrival of Jurgen Klopp, kept on, promoted and then headhunted from Holland again. It's a good story. In part one, we'll focus on the Liverpool press, the plan behind the press and the lineage of this idea of football Let's call it the family tree of the press. It goes right back to the early 70s. It's in fashion now, but it wasn't. Damn it, it's exciting too. It's a key part of why Liverpool have been dominating football, both in England and Europe, for the recent seasons. And as the architect of Liverpool's key training sessions, Pep Linders is a big influence on how and why it works. It also proves that he's a guy who gets under the skin of the people he works with. Enjoy this. I think you will. And there'll be seconds. Today on the big interview, we're, we're really privileged. Um, we've wanted to speak to Pip Linders for uh, quite some time, but everybody must know the schedule that these people are working under and therefore, uh, to carve out time in your schedule uh, to us, we take as a big compliment, Pep. Um, help me also in your full name, Pepin, Pepine. In Dutch, uh, you have one uh, sound, and it's the I. It's the I and the J. So it's it's used in a lot of names, like Stein or uh, Romein, but also, of course, uh, Pepine. And last name is also it's Pepine Linders. So it's the I, I. <laughs> Then sometimes, as, as as our friendship goes on, instead of Pep, you'll be Pepine. But just call me Pep, like everybody else in England. Yeah. Well, that's quite a handy way. You, when you were born and growing up, you didn't know that Pepine would be so handy when it became shortened to Pep. When was the first time in your life you realised that you shared, uh, a, not a nickname, but I mean, Pep is Josep. So, like, Pepine is shortened to Pep. Pep Guardiola is Josep. 
when you're a kid or a young adult, when's the first time you realized, whoa, me and Guardiola have the same affection name? Uh, what we have in common is our is our belief in uh, in a way of play. I think that you can achieve a lot with the dedicated, like specific team training. Uh, probably um, so. He inspired um, the world with his Barca team. Uh, so also he inspired me, of course, in terms of the dynamics of the offensive uh, football, uh, the the ability of each individual, the technical ability of each individual, and how he puts that, because it came really close to uh, one of uh, the main guys uh, I grew up with is uh, Johan Cruyff. So um, Johan Cruyff, he had the capacity to change that club. Uh, so there's a big... Uh, uh, affinition, you say, affinition between uh, Dutch people and Barca, of course. So he had like the capacity to change the club, to change its identity, and uh, Cruyff had like a game understanding. I will come back to Pepe, but he had a game understanding what shocked uh, our nation as a Dutch guy, and yeah, just some brains just work differently, and he has, he had one of these brains, and total football was born, and uh, what I saw. Uh, with the team of uh, Pep, that that was really identified that team, uh, the false nine, the the three diamond three with times the the flexibility and the freedom of uh, and the and the quality of individuals. So not a mechanical style of play, uh, and that and that what really got me in that time. And I, I saw Kruif, so it made all these ideas we had as a Dutch. Uh, uh, it came back in that team of Pep of uh, Guardiola of of Barca at that time. So, of course, I was working at Porto at that moment. So, um, closer than from Holland, but um, no, yeah, of course, he uh, he inspired. Um, some coaches have like the uh, the capacity to change football and. Um, some teams had the capacity to change football, to let us think differently and to see things differently because they were able to do it. And uh, one was Saki, also with the Dutch connection, of course. One was Pep, uh, of course, in this moment in time, Jürgen. So uh, I think they. what I like is that they that they drill their teams, that they try, they create like uh, coordinate coordinated pressing if you want to say or an organized attack but what they all had in common is that they never took the individual class away from the player so it never became mechanical and that's what I like about all three of them and that's why they inspire me so much Pep you've introduced a concept um, I was going to ask you lots of different things but you've changed the route already you've pressed me and I've given you the ball back you're too young but when I was growing up um, the 1974 World Cup where Holland was coached by Rinus Michels. If you look back now and study their games, what I saw when I was a kid was Robbie Rensenbrink or um, the work of Neskins. Cruyff is my favourite man, favourite player of all time. I'm lucky enough to have interviewed him, met him, etc. But I watched, so it, that like seared an image in my brain when I was a kid watching Cruyff and Kroll and Ari Han and so, so many clever ones. But the pressing in those days, or in that team, was like now, when you look at it, was like a cartoon movie. Because 
all well, all ten outfield orange shirts ran after the ball. The, the offside line was unbelievably. They just they, they ran almost to the opposite goal to catch the other team offside. It's it's beautiful to look back on because it's experimental. It's new. It's like the first days of airplanes, and you see all the attempts to to run off the pier or to flap your wings. And then pressing also became a weapon which was a negative weapon. Um, if you think about Catanacho, it's pressing, but in different areas of the game. I'll press my man, and I'll be in his pocket. I'll get into his shorts if I can, eh? so that he can never have a moment to think or breathe. And then you have beautiful pressing. Sometimes Saki's team did. Johan Christ's dream team did not press like Pep Guardiola's because he had up front sometimes Romario or um, Laudrup. Or, they didn't press the same way. Now pressing isn't just in fashion, it's hugely successful. The tridenti of Lippi was a form of pressing. Now you're in the vanguard of what uh, pressing is supposed to do. And to my way, it's a positive thing because you're pressing to get the ball back quickly and to use it. Not just, not simply to let the opponent play. Why is pressing now, generally, back in fashion? Such a word that gets used over the last, let's call four, five, six, seven years since Pep took over at Barcelona. Why is it now in fashion again? Because this thing goes in and out of fashion across 30, 40 years. Why now? Um, because coaches want to win games. The reason uh, the, the, you try to, by win, uh, if you want to win games, um, you have to focus on trying to get control over the opposition and try to dominate the opposition. And so, for an example, the better you press, the best, better you counter press, the less you run. It's that simple. So because you don't have to go 60 meters back. Um, players are all in this game because if you look back when they started playing, when they went on the street, when they start dribbling everyone where they want, it's the love for the ball, the love to attack, uh, uh, and the love to win, to compete. So... If you take example, we call it organized pressing, organized counter press, uh, organized chaos. So what people see is like the chaos moment, like the moment where you see, example, the Dutch team say seven players hunting for the ball. <laughs> but with, with us, you see this moment and that hectic. Um, but as staff, we are content. Uh, consciously working on what happens before and what happens around and that's the organization and for me our positional game the last year has improved so much um, and that had such a huge impact on our regularity in uh, the season what means that we get more and better control of the games we always say the 30% where we don't have the ball there's where we want to be different than all the other teams in the league so we don't say that we want to have 70% of the ball. No, we say we, when we don't have the ball, that's where we want to be different. That's our fingerprint. That's our way. Because we believe if we are in this 30% when we don't have the ball, we dominate that moment. Uh, if it's counter-pressing, if it's pressing, if it's a goal kick, if it's a throw-in, whatever. It gives us all the freedom to bring back our love, <laughs> to bring back our passion, to outplay, to take risks, to overlap, to cross, to finish, to uh, to have freedom in our attack. And the only way that have freedom in the, in the attack is knowing that when we lose the ball, we can 
uh, recover it quickly. And I think the main reason why we won is be- and why it is decisive and, and we could keep it up for long periods is that we focus on the 30% in training constantly, in our meetings constantly. That was where we wanted to improve. But as I said before, the better you attack, the more you have the ball and the more you are connected and the more you have players close to each other, whatever, all these things, the better you counter-press or the less you run. But the better your positional game is, the less hectic moments you see. And people say always, oh, Liverpool changed style. No, we didn't change style. We had we have a shorter team, a more compact team. We are better positioned when we have the ball. So there are less hectic moments. So they see the less hectic moments. But And that's where our focus lies as a staff has in each meeting, in each training session. Uh, create this high-intensity uh, tactical culture of counter-press football and improve our way. It's open up the fingerprint then because it, it, I'm asking a question without knowing the answer. In that 30% where you don't have the ball, where you're asking the group to have a philosophy to, to be exactly right in the 30% so that the 70% can be fun and successful, it, are you talking about position or are you talking about thinking communication talking to one another because it's it's like is that 30 percent you're talking about like a chance to reset okay when we were attacking each of us is maybe two three four five six meters out of position but now instantly we go back to how we're talking how we're thinking and how we are positionally or am i am i wrong no yeah we want to be dominant at that moment so we want to make the opposition passive because of uh the moment they win the ball uh, uh, there are two reasons. One, because we want to have the ball on the opposition half uh, to play, uh, to create, to take risks, to put all our hunger there, um, to be uh, as close as possible to the goal. So, because the more closer you are, the the, the bigger the chance of, of course, that you can uh, can score, and the more difficult it becomes for the opposition to score in your other half because they have to go 80 meters to there, 70, 80 meters. Um, so this is the first reason. So you want to... It's like an indirect result you may, uh, of counter-press, of winning the ball back immediately. The, the other thing is that the moment you attack, you try to disorganize the opposition. You try to get them out of certain situations, use the spaces they leave, all these things uh, try to uh, create. And the moment they win the ball, there's a moment where they want to go with the ball. So the moment where they disorganize themselves again because they want to attack. And many times after this counter-press moment the world is open, basically. So you want to uh, use this immediate moment to try to create uh, because there's a little bit more space and a little bit more chaos and you want to use that. But what I said before, the only way you can you you can be consistent in counter-pressing and have stability in this moment is if your positional play, not only with the ball, because everybody thinks it's with the ball, but especially without the ball is right, if you protect it, so uh, protected against the striker they live up, uh, protected around the box where the ball will maybe lose, all these things. And uh, that's where our focus lies. Uh, uh, what's the percentage split in the concept of pressing and positional play that's mental compared to physical? Because I, I believe when I watch teams who try to press, I, I sometimes see footballers who, who do it because they're told to do it, but they don't believe in it. And therefore their work efficacy goes lower. You have to convince everybody. Am I, is that fair? Yeah, it, it, it has to come from the stomach. You cannot have one second of 
of uh, disappointment losing the ball. It's always the the next situation. It's always the it's like a invitation to uh, create a new situation to to win the ball and to use it. So, and this is you can only stimulate in certain exercises. You can only stimulate when the players really believe in it. If all the exercises are based on what we do, about the better you play, the more you play. The the if you don't counter press well, if you don't press well, the more you have to defend. Then it becomes like a natural skill of the players because. We really believe that they have to be with the whole body in the training session. So not only the legs, not only the heart, not only the lungs, but the whole. We want this high level of concentration, specific concentration. And that creates like this intensity everybody sees in our game. Yeah. And that's what Jürgen asks for, of course, each day. Yeah. From the ultimate in team movement to maybe the ultimate in individual movement, who won the last uh, paddle game between you and the gaffer? I will not say the result, but I won. Okay, you won't say the result because I'm going to interpret and you don't need to confirm that the result was big. It's like this. If he wins, the the hours after, I hear it from the whole building. I go in the bus and the bus driver knows it. I go in the plane and one of the stewards says, well, how was it? If I win, nobody speaks. I don't hear a word. I'm here to tell you about another podcast. Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of The Big Interview, and it's called Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show, and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography, I Think, Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten, and David Goldblatt. Now, a friend of mine, Lawrence Donegan, on his classic golf book, Four Iron in the Soul. You know, you just write a book, and it's just some sort of alchemy that you, you don't understand what's happening. That's a good word. And lo and behold, at the end of it, it's like something's... It comes together and something's happened that you're not even aware it was happening at the time. I think Nick Hornby talked about this about fever pitch. You just wrote a book, not that fever got that's anywhere near as good as fever pitch, but you know, there's just some sort of alchemy, mysterious thing that happens in the process of writing a book, and the book is greater than for some reason it's actually better and bigger and more appealing than you actually intended. And lo and behold, as you say, 20 years later, we're still talking about it. People will still talk about it. People absolutely love it in a way. And those kind of books that hit, just hit some kind of chord that you, you know, some kind of bullseye that you weren't aiming for, but somehow it hit that bullseye and, and, and that's why that's why they last. Understand it that um, Liverpool was on a, uh, on a one of the the working trips to Spain and 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 Jurgen saw paddle and fell in love with it. I, I guess it's pretty lucky that he didn't go to a place where there was lacrosse or or darts or something like that, because paddle has become something that I think you've built more paddle courts into the new training complex than than there was at Melwood. Um, 
what's the value of, of you against the gaffer on a 1v1 in the court? Because we build you up as when you're succeeding, we say, ah, these guys get everything right. But in any competitive sport where it's one man against the other, you can get pissed off, you can get angry with one another. And okay, some of that's good. So what the hell, man? It's 1v1, me v you. That can't be healthy. Yeah, but yeah, it is because I think we are both... We are not bad losers, so we really are honest if one plays better than he deserves to win. So that's one. Second, of course, we want to win, but I think because of our schedule, because of the amount of games, because of the pressure we are in, the, the job we are in, it's, it's really great that we have a moment where we can fight against ourselves. Because it's 1v1. There's nobody you can blame. There's nobody you can speak to. It's, if there's a mistake, it's you. But this moment of sport, this moment of competition, this moment of a full, how can I say, full of energy, because we play 1v1 on a full-size court, on a 2v2 court. So it's not, it doesn't look like paddle how you see paddle. It's fighting. <laughs> and it says a lot about... Uh, you learn a lot about yourself if you play 1v1. Huh? Do you give up in the moments it's hard? Do, do you listen to your voice and your hand? Uh, when you cannot reach it but you could reach it all these things and uh, but many times many many times after the game or in between the sets ideas came up because uh, you thought about different things and uh, great ideas came up so yeah good yeah. I wonder if it's like a stone in a pond if there's some ripples the players hear you screaming at each other well, okay sometimes maybe you play before they come in but they see the gaffer and Pep at full commitment, trying, working, being beaten, fighting back, screaming in victory or in defeat or or talking to the bus driver about who won. It's a good example, you said, in, in all the teaching of mentality about winning, losing, learning, fighting, thinking, you're setting a good example. Absolutely. The, mo- the most powerful tool for players uh, is the character of the, the coach, for the character of Jürgen. The, because I really believe in the way you speak with the players on a daily basis, the way you coach the players on a daily basis, the way the players speak with each other on a daily basis becomes the inner voice. And the most important in the game is the inner voice because you have to make decisions, you have to constantly readapt. So I'm trying to say the character of the team is is the character of the coach because that's the most powerful uh, 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 development weapon if you would like to say it like that but the way Millie speaks before uh, the game starts the 10 minutes before we go out saying repeating the things we said in the meeting uh, the way Jürgen example when we do a counter press rondo when the team who lose the ball I say it many times they can hear us in Manchester because that's the moment we want to get the ball back. So it's go get it back immediately. So it, these things and the repetition of these things, but the way we speak, the way Jordan coached the players in the game, the way he speaks loudly when there's a good pass or when a good, always based on our way. But I really believe that uh, this team is created by great personalities. And that's the main, main reason uh, why... The inner voice is good, but also why in many moments of adversity uh, we uh, became successful. Yeah. 
you, you've brought a theme in that I wanted to introduce, and I'm not asking you uh, to repeat the thing that uh, the gaffer has said uh, on television about people not uh, getting together to think about the players and whether it be FIFA or UEFA, the Premier League or the television companies. I don't really need you to repeat that, but I, I think it's true. Whenever I speak to players, and players give me this valuable time, if you listen to them and if you listen to clever coaches, you know that never, ever in the history of football have we asked so much from our football players because they don't get time to think or breathe or rest or assimilate or learn or recover. And therefore, you guys in your profession, you're working at a cutting edge. There has never, ever in the history of our sport been anything like this. So how are you adapting your work? Because when um, when Celtic were, were managed by uh, Wim Janssen um, and he came in and the players started calling it practice instead of training. Again, the Dutch mentality. When Pep Guardiola talks about teaching time, he talks about teaching people and that rather than just, we call it training, but it's not about getting fit or getting rid of knocks. or te- You get so little time with them and these players are so mentally and physically exhausted. You must be changing. You must have less time to do quality things with them. How are you changing? How are you adapting and keeping afloat? Uh, first of all, we have to be creative huh? because of the amount of injuries there. But at the same time, we have to create stability around the fit players we have. Uh, stability, I mean like, okay, we have a short time. So in this short time, we have to train one way. We cannot go from... So we have to train that way, so our way, that constantly tactic. Yeah. And we believe, and I believe, <laughs> I believe you can achieve so much with dedicated specific team training and each exercise even in the short time we have should have this character of our way and um, that's that's our job to create like a situation where we create this um, where all players every day have like this uh, specific concentration and um, improve our way add new elements Find the right solutions early against the opponents we're going to uh, face. Yeah, we don't have a lot of time to prepare, plan, and etc. So it's also a big compliment for all the departments inside our club, um, like the medical, how they try to get our fit players back as early as possible, to how they deal with um, the recovery process, uh, how they try to accelerate it by all the things they do, the physical department, how they try to help. So a big compliment. Our analyze department has, with these these amount of games, the day after we played the game, they are ready with the new analyze, with the new opposition. So, uh, yeah, we we have to be creative. We have to try to create like a stable, try to create stability around the players who are fit and the team who is fit. Uh, But always focus on our way because if we learned one thing over the last years is that um, all all the big moments came from adversity. So, and why we became successful in these moments because we stick to our way. We didn't change, and we focus on what we had, not on what we didn't have. Take Barca away, we lose three 0 
We didn't at Bobby. We didn't at Mo. We lose Robbo in halftime. We we could have changed so many things. You know, we focused on uh, we uh, we focused on what we had and prepared, and we went with our way. And that's what I mean. And all the time when when they got against us, we did this. Uh, and um, I really believe that the the reason why we are why we were were successful is because we kept our plan. The reason why we are still consistent performing now is because we kept our plan. We lose Virgil, we lost Ali, we lost Handel, we lost Fabio. But if you look and you saw the games we played, you saw a Liverpool football club team who played with the highest intensity, who was constantly chasing the opposition from all directions who was searching to attack them with the ball and without the ball. And then you see that, and that's the great saying what I learned in Portugal, is uh, without good players, there's no collective. But without collective, there will never be success. So I really believe in this. So uh, The individual is really important, but the collective idea uh, uh, and, and the, the, uh, the focus on this collective idea and the consistency of the collective idea and the training of the collective it makes all makes it possible that we if we lose players that we keep our way because the players are drilled to deal with the short team to deal with our zonal pressing approach to deal with the offside trap to deal with organized attacks and it proves one more time that the squad we have the main strength is that we just have many, many good players. And two, there's a clear collective idea where we base all our decisions on. Now, this is why, I mean, you, you I think, uh, Pistol, uh, worked with uh, one of my heroes, Hans Hillhouse, who played for my team, Aberdeen. I'm, I'm an Aberdeen fan. I'm not a Liverpool fan. But I stand back and I know I'm watching something that will mark all-time history. So I'm not talking about lifting the Premier League or lifting the Champions League. I'm watching a culture at Liverpool where in 20 years people will say there have been these people that have influenced football and they'll say Saki and they'll say Cruyff and they'll say Michels and they'll say Guardiola and they'll say Liverpool uh, so I'm not talking just about success this is changing football that's the biggest compliment you can get the the amount of coaches who came uh, through because of the training process and the training identity of Saki is unbelievable the amount of coaches who represent Cruyff and there are not many now who came through with his ideas uh, from from Holland then I mean uh, yeah that's the biggest compliment you can get and yeah the basic strengths for a stable team is this that you have like an idea and that you focus on that idea and that create consistency and um, for me it's organization it's the right distances it's tactical discipline that creates like a constant team and the focus lies on this with with us, and then the individual is, of course, what I said. Without good players, no collective. But a, a chance to be nice about one of the individuals after us talking about team and collective and family. Um, we've got lovely sponsors who support us, Bet Three Six Five, and they've asked us to ask you how important is Jordan Henderson to the Liverpool dressing room? So not just the guy that we see who's improved gigantically on the pitch over the years and has been successful. But what kind of personality, what, what additional values does he bring to the dressing room mindset? He's the motor. He's the experience. He's the, the leader. He's the example. He's the connection between me, Jürgen, and the team. He improved so much. Uh, 
and then you see that age doesn't say that you cannot improve. So that's a big lesson for a lot of players. And I think he represents the club and represents our way in a very humble and very uh, powerful uh, powerful way. And um, he's a true in-and-out captain. And um, I think in this moment in time, he can't get a bigger compliment, but it's how he deals with the dressing room, how you say. And there's so many unwritten rules there. So, uh, no, big... Uh, but, of course, he has people... He has... Um, a very good family around him. He has, of course, a great players around him, a great uh, vice captain, uh, great leadership in the team. It's always like this. The moments I want to shout hardest in training, I hear Jordan one second before shouting the things I want to shout. <laughs> so uh, it makes my life much easier. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter, and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.